0: Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. I'm sitting down with the outgoing leader of Her Majesty's loyal opposition and of the Conservative Party of Canada, the Honourable Andrew Scheer. It's good to talk to you again in person. Thank you very much for taking the time.
1: Absolutely, Andrew. It's, uh, it's great that we can do this again. And uh, thanks very much for uh, all your work in covering public affairs here in Canada. Well, thank you.
0: I appreciate that. You have had, as far as what anyone could expect in their final few months in your role, probably the most eventful few months. And not just in terms of the political season in Canada being kind of busy, but also the importance of having an opposition being strengthened. How was that for you compared to when you first stepped down to what really ended up dominating the last few months of of your tenure?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you're right. You know, when when the COVID pandemic hit, it really changed everything. It changed everything for a lot of Canadians, unfortunately. Uh, Many people have suffered uh, either with their health or with their businesses or with their jobs. And uh, so it really did change the dynamic. When we were planning kind of in January, about how best to leave the party and 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 you know visits with some of the regions and and some of the people who have helped in the past. Uh, that all changed when the pandemic hit, and uh, I never thought I'd have to fight to get Parliament to sit. You know that that we t- we take that so often for granted as Canadians that Parliament will sit, the House of Commons will will function, and yet here we were thrust into this crisis because as early as April, the the Liberals were clearly signalling that they wanted to govern this country through a pandemic without parliamentary oversight. And we had to work very, very hard to fight to get what we did in terms of uh, some kind of House of Commons operation to provide that oversight. And uh, I was proud of our team as proud of our efforts to, to make sure that, uh, that the value of our parliamentary institutions were, were, were defended. During this pandemic,
0: anytime parliamentarians have gone on a summer break or a winter break, the narrative is always that, you know, if an emergency happens, they can all come back. And we were in that emergency situation. And you're right, there was this resistance to coming back. And we saw that the government really tried to circumvent the parliamentary process and and the opposition pushed for that. And even as the the pandemic has continued and as various government spending programs and, and such have come out, the opposition has been there. At the same time, I'm curious if you think there needs to be a, a reevaluation of the role of the opposition in Canada, because, because certainly anytime the opposition has held the government to account, we've then gotten from the government criticisms of polarization and of violating what you had termed early on a, a so-called Team Canada approach.
1: Well, you, you're right to point that out. Uh, back in late March, early April, the, the Liberals were saying, hey, let's all have a Team Canada mm-hmm. approach. Let's sit down and, 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 and meet and, and develop programs to respond to the pandemic. We took them at their word. We, we started proposing concrete solutions, act, you know, substantive amendments to their programs. We were aware of people falling through the gaps. And we took them at their word, too, when they said that if we, if we passed the legislation quickly, they would fix it after the fact. We, we agreed with them that said, in order to get help out the door, let's get the programs up and running, get help out to as many people as we can, and then we'll make fixes as we go. It's August, and they still haven't made the changes to the wage subsidy, to the the uh, small business loan programs, uh, the SERB. People are still falling through the crack. Here we are in August, so um, I don't know if we need to rethink the role of the opposition. But I think uh, the opposition needs to find ways, uh, and and as parliamentarians, we all need to find ways to ensure that the par- the opposition voices are are heard and that their proposals are actually taken into account uh, when when we're being criticized of of being partisan when we're pointing out you know objective problems with their with their programs it uh, makes it more difficult for us to do a job and then that makes it more difficult for Canadians to get better programs.
0: And you add to the general checks and balance checks and balances of the government and their policies, and you take the we scandal and throw that into the mix. Yeah. And, and now it's not just about making sure that this program is working and that program is working, but, but a, a true accountability issue and, and a transparency issue. And I'm curious for you if this was something that kind of frustrated you, not just as a Canadian and as a Conservative, but as someone who was running against this party and this Prime Minister in the last election, to really have a lot of what the Conservatives have been saying about Justin Trudeau vindicated after the election with them re-elected?
1: Yeah, well, you know, uh, during the, the, the English language debate, the only debate in English that uh, Justin Trudeau showed up for, I told him that he was a phony and a fraud he didn't deserve to govern this country. And uh, that may have been the, the truest statement I ever made in my uh, political career. And for him to use the pandemic as cover to reward his friends, you know, it, it's, it's, it's normal for liberals to, to to aspire to power to reward their friends. That's, that's their, it's really the raison d'etre. If you look at their entire history, that's kind of what they do. Uh, Justin Trudeau pro- promised to be better. He promised to do things differently. He said sunlight was the best in- disinfectant. Mm-hmm. And then we see the hypocrisy of using the cover of the pandemic to help his friends who were in trouble, an organization that was in financial trouble. He used Canadian taxpayers' dollars to, reward, to bail out an organization that had provided him a massive political uh, uh, platform. And uh, I found that just, just disgusting. You know, uh, we, we have disagreements on policy issues. You know, They think option A would work better than our proposal. When you're using your office, the power that you, the Canadians have entrusted in you in a moment like this, I was just absolutely disgusted.
0: When you were putting that message to Canadians in the election, and Canadians still, despite the Conservatives getting more votes than the Liberals, under our system of government and our system of elections, they elected the Liberals again. What does that say? That Canadians were willing to reward with all that had happened up until October, keeping in mind they didn't know what was going to happen since, but, but with a lot of what you had put forward and what people knew prior to then, what do you think it says that he got this mandate?
1: Well, look, uh, I think we have to kind of take a, a step back and look at where we were in 2015. And after the 2015 election, the, the conventional media narrative was that Justin Trudeau was going to win the next two or three elections, mm-hmm. no problem. You know, Majority governments for a decade was what we were facing with. We had gone from majority government to opposition. They went from third to first. We were wiped out in Atlanta, Canada. So I, I view the last election, we fell short of our goals, but major accomplishments, major gains in Atlantic Canada, major gains in British Columbia, on the whole, up in Ontario. Uh, it was t- tough uh, to lose some of the seats that we had in Ontario, but on the whole, we were, we were net positive, virtually sweeping the prairies. I, 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 when you look at a first-term majority government, it's very rare in Canadian history that a first-term majority government would, would lose government. So bringing them to a minority, seeing several high-profile cabinet ministers lose their seat, Uh, seeing us regain our foothold in Atlantic Canada, there is a tremendous amount to build on there. And I'm very, very encouraged by the results of the last election. I have every confidence that our next leader Whoever that may be is going to be able to build on that f- foundation and, and finish the job.
0: I was there in Regina the night of the election when you gave what sounded in many cases like a victory speech. You talked about some of the themes that you just brought up now. I was also there the next morning when you indicated you were staying on as leader and talked about wanting to make some more of these gains. How do you feel that it's not you that's going to build on that?
1: Well, um, I recognize that this party has never been about one person. You know, we're, we're conservatives aren't about the cult of personality. We don't look for a promised one uh, like the Liberals do and and make it all about their leader. We are a movement that's built on principles, values, freedom, individual liberty, free market economics, uh, democratic reform. Those principles are bigger than any one person. And at the end of the day, I just want to see Canada be the best country it can be. So if it's not me, but I can play a role in helping someone else finish that job, I will be thrilled. Uh, on election night and the next election if we're able to be successful. And uh, I'm happy to contribute in any way I can. It's been an honour to serve as leader, and, uh, and, and I am really grateful for that opportunity. It's, uh, but, you know, I've, I've never let this be about me. It's, it's about what we're trying to accomplish. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that the next leader of the party Becomes prime minister, but
0: at first you did think it was going to be you seeing it through, not just as a an opposition leader, but as a, a future prime minister or someone that would be heading into another election as conservative leader. I know that there were some dynamics in the party that we'll we'll talk about uh, soon. But but what changed in your mind? At, at what point did it become apparent to you that you were not the one that could stay on it and, and complete that mission?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the early days keeping in mind that we always knew when I when I ran for leader in 2016 2017 uh, we knew that often in game politics it, it it takes more than one crack at it you know you 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 make gains you build on those gains it's very very common for opposition leaders at the provincial or federal level to uh, to, to have a two step process we think back to 2004 2006 with the previous conservative leader with many examples at the provincial level uh, so that, that that was my intention to say okay we understand that uh, we have to find out what we can do better and make some improvements, but by and large, there was a, a great deal to be optimistic about. What happened in the next few weeks was really just the realization of, of what that would mean on my family side. And When I ran for leader, my wife and I you know, talked about how we would manage that, how we would uh, balance both the, the, the demands of being a father and being a leader. And, uh, but you can't really plan for it until you start doing it. Mm-hmm. And, I just—it it was just uh, becoming more and more apparent to me that, with the way my family had 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 developed, and and you know, going, you know, getting older for those three years, having a couple of teenagers now, and and uh, all the things I had missed, and looking at the next few months uh, that that lay it ahead of me, I just didn't see how I could keep that balance uh, going. And uh, I, I made a commitment to Jill when I proposed to her that I would always put her first and, and put my family first no matter what. And it just got to that point where I realized that it was best for the party if I, if, if, I, if I took that step back because if I couldn't give the party 100%, if I had to hold something back because I had to make sure that my family was okay then it wasn't fair to my caucus colleagues and the rest of the party that I would uh, not give them that 100%. So I'm very much at peace with that decision because I, I, I know it was the right decision to make. To make. And that's really really what it came down to. You know, I had a couple of conversations with my kids. I had one with my son kind of late at night. We were both getting snacks at the same time. We ended up chatting for almost an hour. And in that conversation, I just realized how much he had grown up in the past three years. And I was finding things out about him that I didn't know just in that conversation. I just thought, you know, I've I've missed a lot. And I don't know if I can ask them if I can put them through that uh, again. And so I'm very much at peace with that decision. Did you
0: feel like you were able to be the Andrew Shearer you wanted to be during the election? Because it seems to me and, and to a lot of people that I've heard from that there was a market shift in pre-election Andrew Shearer to election Shearer, and then also post-election Shearer. And, and it seems like you were a lot more restrained. And I don't mean that in a, in a way that you're bombastic or, or radical or anything outside of the election, but you were a lot more restrained. And, and a lot of people didn't feel like your personality, Sean. Is that something that you would view as a fair assessment?
1: I think there's definitely something to that. Uh, it's, it's a, sh- it, it, normal human beings don't communicate the way politicians it's do. True. You know? Like, <laughs> you know, normally you want to say something, you pick up the phone, you tell mm-hmm. your friend. We have to communicate through different filters, you know, we have to speak to journalists, we have to do interviews, we have to put content on social media. And so, the, the, I think over time, you know, you are trying to refine a message, you are trying to simplify a message, stay focused on a message. And sometimes over time, you can it suddenly becomes well, this isn't really how you would put it, or this isn't how what you what your actual take on mm-hmm. something is. And I, I do think, you know, if, in retrospect, if I look back, uh, uh, I <laughs> you know, I think of some of the things that I've I've said or done after I announced I was stepping down when the pressure's off a little bit. You're Nothing not, to lose. Yeah, you point, know, yes. and <laughs> be, let Andrew be Andrew. You know, and, yeah. and uh, sometimes I kind of feel, yeah, geez, I wonder if we could have done more of that. You know, there's you know, you do want to. You know, polish a message and 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 make sure that there's a clear contrast between your party and the other guys. So there's a need for that, but it, sometimes I did think that, uh, in lo- looking back, that maybe I wasn't always able to connect in a in a in, a, in an authentic way that, and let my my own personality come through. Because I think that's what Canadians, I think all voters are looking for that. And that's one of the things you know, challenged myself and did I always was I always able to do that? And you know, I, I think there's something to be said for sometimes just. Throwing away the notes and and uh, and just you know saying saying what comes in your head.
0: I know you've been deliberately neutral throughout the conservative leadership race, and I, I won't ask you to betray that, tempting as it is. But in a, a more general sense, what is it that you feel the next conservative leader needs to embody, or or what's something that you think they need to learn or could learn from your experience and, and your time as leader?
1: Well, there's there's a few things there. I think first and foremost, uh, the new leader has to has to not take party unity for granted you know we are a party that has a long history of breaking apart coming together reforming you know different iterations of the conservative party have existed throughout our history so it takes an effort it, it, we can't take any part of our of our party for granted uh, we have to have a leader that always shows respect to the different kinds of conservatives that help our candidates get elected that believe in our party that keep it going and strong so making it a conscious effort to make sure every member of our party and by member i mean cardholder and member of parliament feels valued and respected and has, a, has an opportunity to voice their concerns. That's, that's going to be essential. Secondly, they're going to have to find a way to connect in some of the areas that, that we weren't successful in, in the last election. So whether that's a, a regional message or just a different way to, to reach out to you know, GTA uh, residents versus where we've had success, uh, that's certainly going to be a focus. But perhaps even larger than that, I think there's a big problem facing the world. And the next leader Conservative Party here is going to have to find a way to do in Canada what I think every Conservative has to do around the world, and that is uh, re-win the battle that we've won in the past. Uh, we won the argument in the 80s for mm-hmm. small government, for free markets, for uh, you know, lower taxes. Free trade. Free trade, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, free trade. We, we won the argument. I believe we won the argument in large part. Because we had great ambassadors, like Reagan and Thatcher, uh, great ambassadors for the cause. But we also had the world's biggest living laboratory experiment. We had Eastern Europe and the Soviet bloc countries where we could point to and say, do you want to see where government intervention in the economy leads you? you know, where are their breadlines? Are there breadlines in Moscow or Paris? You know, Are there breadlines in London or in uh, Krakow? And uh, how many people got shot trying to get over the wall into East Berlin? nobody, uh, so we were able to you know we were able to convince people here that free trade, free markets, uh, limited government, low taxes, that is the recipe for prosperity. That's what lifts people out of poverty. That's what increases the the quality of life in a country. problem was what, when we won, we went home, and mm-hmm. the left didn't. you know they 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 changed the names of their policies they they found different leaders to to advocate for them. And now we see the same arguments creeping back in, the government knows best that the only way to come out of this recovery is for more government intervention and more uh, government programs and government control. So we need, to, we need to kind of go back to basics. I know that there are young Canadians who have never heard the free market arguments that won the day uh, a generation ago. So we have to, we have to recommit ourselves and, and, and win that argument again. Otherwise, we're gonna see uh, a sharp turn to the left in, in a lot of areas.
0: One of the narratives that has emerged through the leadership race now is that your personal social conservatism cost the Conservatives the election in in 2019. And I'm almost hesitant to ask about it because this was the only thing that the media has wanted to ask you about (laughs) at certain points. But I hope you'll indulge me if I I frame it in a a different way. Because what happened to you through the election, I, I think, would be to most people fairly chilling for anyone of any faith who ever wants to seek political office that all of a sudden personal religious beliefs that are shared by millions of Canadians across different religions would be really deemed something that is inherently disqualifying. And we even heard this from some people in the Conservatives that's, you know, the the famous quote that social conservative was an albatross or a stinking albatross. So so how do you reconcile that now? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I I firmly believe that, uh, as you point out, this was a a media obsession. Uh, I've I've always been very clear when I ran for Parliament in 2004 throughout my career, when I started running for leadership of the party to my final day as leader. I said, I have personal views on a variety of of social issues, as do millions of Canadians. It's very normal in in Canadian life to know people who have a difference of opinion on any number of social issues. Uh, and that's part of what makes this country great, is that we can hold those views and we can believe what we choose to believe. Uh, and, uh, but my commitment was, I wasn't going to reopen those divisive uh, issues that have divided our party in the past, and there was clearly no consensus in Canadian, uh, in, in the Canadian public for us. So I made that commitment that as Prime Minister, we would not reopen these issues and, 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 and the status quo would not change uh, for, for those things. Uh, clear, concise, Easy to understand message throughout the campaign. Of course, the many members of the media tried to uh, make it an issue, and it was always frustrating. Uh, you know, to see I would the only people that were asking it were were members of the media, and then they would write the articles like sheer was questioned again today. Like, well, yeah, because you did. <laughs> you know, it's not that not that people were ringing up at the doors or my candidates weren't telling me that it's, mm-hmm. it was it was literally just a thousand different ways to. To ask the question, and um, but I do, but but I do believe if you go back and look, uh, look at the me- look at the message that liberals were putting forward in the last couple of weeks of the campaign, that that I think Canadians were were okay that 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 a leader might have a different view on something. I think they wanted to hear that commitment that some of these issues wouldn't be reopened, uh, and I believe I did. So it's important the next leader recognizes that uh, social conservatives not only have a, a place in our party, but uh, you know the, the, they're a valuable part of it. And I think back to some of the work we did in the previous conservative government. Um, for example, uh, when we raised the age of consent from 14 to 16, that that came primarily from the social conservative part of our mm-hmm. caucus, but it was quickly embraced by everybody because, you know, of course, of course, we need to protect young children, and it became a, an issue that that everybody could agree on. And it was a it was one of those issues that that. Everybody in the party could rally around. So that's my message to the next leaders: find those opportunities to 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 make sure that every part of our member uh, is is part of the conversation and feels valued.
0: And it is interesting when you talk about the media's role in that that the people who claim. That conservatives won 't get off of those issues are often the ones that bring it up the most, and, and even in the last few months, we have a bill before Parliament, bill C eight from the Liberals seeking to ban conversion therapy, which, if you accept that terminology, people will conjure an image in their mind of, of what that is and the interesting thing is that the letter of the law that they're proposing has nothing to do with really the stated purpose of it. And, and I know that some of the socially conservative members of the conservative caucus have done a lot of work on trying to push back against this and, and shine a light on on why they're really going after, in many cases, just private Faith-based counseling, or, or even family conversations. What's your response to that, as a conservative leader who has socially conservative views, when the liberals are, are putting what seems like a, a wedge bill forward?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, I will agree with the, the, the point you made that often it's the. Conservatives have a clear position on something, and it's the media that that uh, that, that that tries to you know relitigate it or mm-hmm. analyze it from a thousand different ways. Uh, on this particular issue, let me first and foremost say that uh, the conservatives are opposed to any so-called practice that would uh, belittle, dehumanize, bully uh, someone into coerce someone into trying to change their their sexual orientation. We've been very clear uh, about that. Uh, many members of our of our of our caucus, I've heard a lot of feedback. Uh, for many P- Canadians about this, are concerned with the way the Liberals drafted the legislation. Mm-hmm. So we can agree with the goal. You know, we we, nobody, we we're all opposed to uh, scenarios of, of young people being subjected to belittling, uh, bullying type of uh, treatment. But the way the Liberals have have drafted the legislation is uh, the definition of that is very vague. And so what I don't want to see is you know conversations being criminalized or, or legitimate conversations that parents might mm-hmm. have with. With children, or the people might want to have with their friends, you know, uh, or or seek any kind of uh, guidance or or counseling for any reason. We don't want to see those types of legitimate conversations uh, being criminalized the way the liberals have drafted uh, the bill. So there's an effort underway uh, to fix the definition of that legislation so that we make a clear distinction between dehumanizing unacceptable behaviour and legitimate conversations that people may want to have in a free society. And uh, I know that it'll be a free vote. It's very important for our, par- our our party. We have free votes on these types of matters. It's something our members uh, guard very jealous- jealously. So I, I will be supporting efforts to to fix that definition.
0: Have the Liberals been receptive
1: to that? No, and you know, it's it's this frustrating thing that they, you know, they explain on the Justice Department website what they mean to do with the bill, and so we said, great, put that in the bill. <laughs> you know, uh, why put that up on a website? Why not have that incorporated uh, into the language? It's a little bit like what they do with the firearms yes. uh, regulations. Yes. You know, the letter of the regulations have made a whole bunch of types of uh, hunting shotguns illegal. Well, the minister says, no, no, that's not what we mean, what we mean by that. So we say, well, great, put that in the regulations. And and uh, we see this before. We've seen this time and time again with the liberals, where they they word things either clumsily or purposefully, uh, to be vague and ambiguous. And there is a lack of clarity. And then people do find themselves running afoul of the law with, with, with no intention of doing so. Uh, so uh, that's why we're, 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 there are many of us that are focused on trying to clarify that definition so that we're, we're not criminalizing types of things that, that nobody ever conceived of or, or, or meant to criminalize.
0: You mentioned earlier the importance of winning the argument, and and this is something that, for me, as a conservative that's working in a media environment, is an important thing. What do you think you've done throughout your tenure as leader to advance small C conservatism?
1: Well, uh, I think back to the first issue that I really had to deal with as leader was when the liberals were raising taxes on small businesses, and you go back and look at the language they were using; it was pure envy politics. You know, it was tearing people down. It was you know, anybody who's- Was been, this
0: the famous tax cheat yeah, era? Yeah, yeah, tax
1: cheat. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, the, calling small business owners tax cheat. Mm-hmm. Not paying their fair share. Yes. And we were able to show Canadians during that time that said, like, w- one of the most positive messages about the concern of free market economics is that prosperity spreads. It's contagious. Uh, it, we all do well. It's, it's, it's rising tide economics, you know, and it's, it's when when I worked for a small business, the small business owner made money, but I had a job thanks to mm-hmm. their hard work investment and taking a risk and, and all of that. So we need to cultivate a, a society that, that wants to replicate that. We don't want to punish that and make people feel like they were tax sheets. So we were able, at the time, the Liberals were using very divisive language, really trying to pit one Canadian against another and, and a different class of Canadians. And we were able to say, like, yes, everybody should pay their fair share, absolutely. But let's not take away legitimate, tools that small businesses have used to grow and expand and create more opportunities. People, not, 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 because, not, not because we were only worried about the business owner, but because the workers will suffer. And we were able to make that link that I had a job as a waiter because somebody else owned a restaurant. I had a job in an insurance office because somebody else owned that, 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 that office. And we were able to, to make that connection that more low-income Canadians would be harmed by these policies than there than, than would be help. So I think back to that. That was a you know we were very successful there. I think I believe the, the the markers that we put down as a party on foreign policy, when we talk about the Conservative Party's position on China, were the only voice standing uh, calling for Canada to stand up for itself and recognize the threat that this current communist regime poses. Uh, very principled foreign policy, and our platform was uh, uh, was uh, full of free market ideas and ways to encourage uh, uh, private sector growth. So. I believe we, we accomplished a lot. We certainly uh, uh, have more work to do to, to form government, but I'm going to do whatever I can to help the next leader accomplish that.
0: So you've served as a member of parliament, as speaker of the house, as leader of the official opposition. How do you see your role in, in public service, if there is a role in, in public service moving forward? I know you've talked about supporting the next conservative leader, but what does that look like?
1: Well, honestly, that's up to the next leader. Fair <laughs> uh, enough. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I want to do whatever I can to help. Um, I love my riding in Saskatchewan. Regina Capel is is a mixed urban rural riding. I've got the uh, northeast corner of Regina and then a lot of rural communities around it. Lots of issues there I'm very passionate about. We've seen our energy sector devastated by this Liberal government. Our agriculture sector, we had a harvest from hell in the fall. It was a wet harvest and many farmers didn't get their crop off till the spring. That's caused a cash flow crunch that this government's not paying any attention to. So being a, a loud voice and a strong uh, advocate for my own constituents is is my primary goal. Apart from that, I've got a lot of interest uh, in policy. I, I think that a, a lot more attention needs to be paid to things like our monetary policy in this country. The Bank of Canada is printing $5 billion a week of new money out of thin air. Well, they're not even printing it because they're creating it digitally. Mm-hmm. Well, th- that's going to have consequences over time and that's not getting a lot of attention. So. You know, finding some policy issues I can th- sink my teeth into uh, would be very rewarding. But honestly, whatever the next leader would like me to do, I'm happy to play uh, any part I can.
0: So is your goal to stay on as Member of Parliament and, and run again in the next election?
1: Absolutely. I, I, as I said, I, I love my riding. I'm honoured to have received their trust in the last few elections and uh, hopefully I can uh, regain that trust in the next election, you know, re-earn that trust uh, in the next election, and I, I will absolutely run in the next election.
0: What would you like your legacy to be as, as party leader? Because, I mean, this has been three years of your life. It's been a very pivotal three years in the, the landscape of, of Canadian politics. And also people forget that the Conservative Party of Canada in its current iteration is a young party. You're the, the second elected leader, the third overall, if we include uh, your, your former colleague, Rana Ambrose. What would you like to see your contribution to that story as being?
1: Honestly, the, the, the biggest validation for my time as leader of the party will be if, if we're successful in the next election. Uh, because then I can I can look and say, you know, I got us inside the 20 and uh, somebody else uh, carried the ball over the goal line. That's fine. In a team sport, it doesn't matter who who crosses the line. It's, it's about the W at the end of the game. And if, uh, if we win the next election, that I believe will be a uh, uh, strong reflection on the, my time. As you say, you know, it's, I'm only the third leader of the party. It's not a guarantee for the Conservative Party of Canada to, A, stay united. Mm-hmm. It's not a guarantee for the Conservative Party of Canada to win 10 seats in Quebec. It's not a guarantee for us to, to do as well as we did in British Columbia, even in Western Canada. When Justin Trudeau won seats in Calgary and Edmonton that, that Conservatives had, never, had rarely lost before. So regaining those back are, are, are never something that we can take for granted. So there's a very strong foundation there for, for the next leader to build on.
0: And you'd be comfortable serving under any of the four candidates' leadership?
1: I, I, I'm going to run the next election. I will support the next leader, whoever he or she may be. Um, this is a party that belongs to our members. It's not, we are not a party run by the, the Laurentian elite. We don't have a small group of people who decide who should or shouldn't be leader. That's the job of our members. That's their right as members, and uh, I respect that. So I will respect their choice.
0: Thank you for your time, and, and thank you for your service.
1: Thank you very much, Andrew.